Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one timely page of Talmud every day. How timely? Today's pages, Nadarim 75 and 76, end with a bang, with a discussion of, well, time itself. Have a listen. The nullification of vows can be performed all day on the day on which the vow was heard. There is, in this matter, both a leniency extending the nullification period and a stricture curtailing that period. How so? If a woman took a vow on Shabbat evening, her father or husband can nullify the vow on Shabbat evening and on Shabbat day until dark. This is an example of extending the nullification period. However, if she took a vow with nightfall approaching, her father or husband can nullify the vow only until nightfall, since if it became dark and he had not yet nullified her vow, he cannot nullify it anymore. This is an example of a curtailed nullification period. The rabbis here are alighting on a truth that modern-day physicists spent quite a bit of time exploring, namely the elasticity of time. Because time, we know, is complicated. If it's anything, it's a unit of measuring change. Make a vow on Shabbat and time goes long. Make it just before downfall and it's cut short. It fits itself to the molds we create, a yardstick showing us how much or how little could happen in a day, an hour, even a minute. Does all this uh, time talk seem groovy? Then you may dig my favorite TV show, Doctor Who. There are few undertakings more daunting for a writer interested in popular culture than to attempt to write coherently and elegantly about Doctor Who. For one thing, the sheer size of this show is daunting. To date, 862 episodes have aired, clocking in at various lengths and representing divergent runs, story arcs, and seasons. Famously, the Doctor, a member of a superior race called Time Lords, occasionally slips into a new body, acquiring not only a new face, but also a brand new personality. Thirteen actors have portrayed him thus far, making any attempt at coherent characterization an exercise in footnotes and futility. Finally, being not only one of the most successful science fiction franchises, but also one of the most intellectually intricate, any attempt to dive into its philosophical depths is fraught with risk. The show's universe is so rich and dense that unless you're very careful, you could just end up finding hidden meanings in pretty much everything. And yet, here I go. So allow me, by way of a playful tribute, to suggest that the esteemed time-traveling do-gooder I love so much is the most compelling Jewish character in the history of television. For one thing, he was created by a man named Sidney Newman, who was born in Toronto to Russian Jewish immigrants who struggled to get by. They ran a small shoe shop, and Sidney dropped out of school when he was 13, enrolled at the Technical Academy, and studied art and design. He was good enough to secure a job with Walt Disney, but failed to gain a work permit in America. So, defeated, he returned to Canada, joined the National Film Board there, and spent World War II making a series of propaganda films named 
in a really unmistakably beautiful Canadian fashion, Canada carries on. He was a really talented director and producer, so eventually he found his way across the sea to the one place all talented people connected somehow to the British crown end up, the BBC. And in 1963, just a few months after his arrival, he came up with the idea for Doctor Who. It's not really too difficult to spot traces of Newman's own story in his fictional creation. His hero is a wildly intelligent, intergalactically cosmopolitan with a biting sense of humor and a commitment to quite literally repairing the world. He's constantly wandering, never at home, and his relation is not to space, a place to call his own, but to time, which makes him highly dependent on memory. In one amazing exchange, for example, a companion tells the doctor that before this war began, I was a father and a grandfather, and now I am neither. The doctor nods his head sympathetically and says, yeah, I, I know the feeling. On another occasion, he suggests that his family sleeps in his mind, which suggests that they were all lost. Naturally, a gentleman such as this is never wanting for enemies. The doctor is surrounded by a host of belligerent, warlike species who view him alternatively and sometimes simultaneously as both pesky and weak and oddly omnipotent. Most celebrated among these baddies are the Daleks, mollusk-like beings who encase themselves in an armored suit slightly resembling a salt shaker. Dalek. They primitive, but undeniably a Dalek. You're mistaken. Their creator, a writer named Terry Nation, grew up in wartime Wales and was never able to shake off the profound terror of observing Germany and witnessing an entire nation unite under a murderous maniac and seek to exterminate everyone they regarded as inferior. When Terry Nation joined Sidney Newman at the BBC, he wasted no time introducing what he called the unhearing, unthinking, blanked-out face of authority that will destroy you because it wants to destroy you. Armored, slow-moving, and infinitely menacing, the Dalek's catchphrase is, Exterminate! It has detected the nonconformity. With this timeless conflict at its center, the canny Jew versus the canned Nazis, Doctor Who ran for 26 seasons, finally fading away in 1989. By 2005, however, the British were ready to reunite with their seminal cultural icon, and the Doctor was revived, brought back from the dead. All the old enemies were back for another run, including the Master, a self-hating Time Lord who despises the Doctor's charitable endeavors and is also as Jewish as you could get. But also, the show now had new and infinitely more terrifying enemies who made its Jewish themes even less subtle. Like the... Silence. Who are the Silence? They're a deformed race of aliens that has been living alongside humanity for millennia. Their terrifying quality is that they're only remembered when they're seen and are forgotten immediately thereafter. They travel the world with the sole purpose of assassinating the Doctor, lest he answer the oldest question in the universe. What is that question? Well, it's right there in the show's title. Doctor Who? You will tell the Doctor what he must know. 
and what you must never know. Without getting too theological, although the show has, casting the silence as a religious order devoted to ancient prophecies, it is hard not to think of the whole affair as a meditation on God, a riff on that old chestnut from the book of Exodus in which the Creator insists that no man shall see his face and live. Learning the doctor's name in all these episodes, it is not mentioned once, and it is strongly suggested that even the doctor himself neither knows it or wishes to know it. Knowing the doctor's name means unlocking all of the universe's secrets, shedding light on its mysteries, closing the distance between mere mortals and other higher beings whose job it is to watch over us humans and shower us with kindness and light. And the greatest gift we've received from above, the greatest gift the doctor, or the Talmud for that matter, could give us is the gift of time. So what is time? I'll let the doctor explain. Yeah, people don't understand time. It's not what you think it is. Then what is it? Complicated. Tell me. Very complicated. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. So, that wasn't very helpful, but the Talmud comes closer. Time isn't an enemy who eventually gets the upper hand, nor is it a thief who takes away our vitality and beauty and stamina. Time is a playground, ours to use as we wish, to make the days so very long or so preciously short. And we don't need to know the name of the doctor or see the face of the creator or understand the intricacies of the universe to have command over that delightfully renewable resource that is time. To those not blessed with the Doctor Who obsession, this whole episode may seem kind of silly and out there. But it's been a very long time since a television show took metaphysical questions so seriously and answered them in the way that was so profoundly Jewish. I, for one, won't be surprised if the Doctor's name turns out to be Shlomo. Whatever it is, I'll continue following him religiously. And so, my friends, should you. This has been Take One. If you enjoyed the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And get your Take One merch, t-shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Robert Scarmucha, and Mark Oppenheimer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.